Welcome to Tell the Damn Story, the podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being creative so that you can more easily tell your own damn story. Hey, Alex Simmons, how are you, sir? Wow, we, we kind of lost you totally there for a moment. I was feeling the Alex Simmons of it all. Yeah, I, I, did you did you like stop speaking or did your mic cut out on you? Nah, just me going for it. I was just you know. Okay, because there was a there was a, there was a quiet moment there. Okay. okay. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what happened on your yeah, end. Okay. My end was loud. I think his mic went. Oh hell no! <laughs> yeah. Oh oh oh! You've got to stop that right now. Yeah. Ladies well, anyway, and hi, gentlemen. Hey everybody, how you do? How you do? How you do? How you doing, Chris? I'm good. Uh, you're being Alex Simmons over there. I'm being Chris Ryan over here. And this is Tell the Damn Story. Our next episode, we're going to try and reverse that. He's going to be me. I'm going to be him. It's true. Throw the families I, I'm off still studying. The yeah, There's right. so much more to that character. There's layers. Uh, Alex Simmons is <laughs> yes, like an there are onion. Layers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of like a turducken, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. That's what he is. It might have choked Artie, but anyway. It uh, could have choked Stammy. Yeah, right, you know the so. line. Okay. There we go. So, wow, hi, everybody. Big here we are. Here we are again. And Chris, I'm always glad to see you. Always glad always to glad to see to you. Spend some time with you, sir. And I'm always interested in seeing what you're going to have to say this week. And uh, I'm hope the audience does too, because that's why we're all here, folks. Yes, to hear uh, what we each have to say. That's right. We're going to talk about uh, creative challenges that we experienced this week. Uh, one from Alex, one from me, and then we're going to have one for you, ladies and gentlemen. And we want you to. We'll, want to encourage you to participate in that so uh the carrot at the end of that stick ladies and gentlemen is an autographed copy of one of our blackjack uh rapid read adventures and it'll be sent to, to one of you uh we'll have to get in touch or whatever and we'll, we'll figure that all out but you know Yes, we'll, we will definitely get it if you're in another country it'll be a bit more of a challenge but we'll make it happen don't worry yeah we we'll, got, go, we got we'll send it over by swallow we got connections. African-European. Yes. All right. Okay. So, so here we go. So, so Alex, what was your challenge for the week, bro? The, the, the challenge for this week is kind of interesting in that it's, it's not a challenge that I wrestle with as much, but does come up. And, and, and every time I have to do this, there's a little voice that speaks in the back of my head, which reminds me of what I already know. And it's a challenge that I am constantly exploring with my students no matter where they come from no matter what their backgrounds are because i want the world to see the world you know whatever portion of it you're showing in as much of an authentic manner as possible mm -hmm. so the question is the challenge is how do you create characters that aren't stereotypical now uh, as you pointed out when we were talking about this in the green room Yes. <laughs> that's right. They have a little room that's painted green, right? Um, you know, there's stereotypes, and when you say that word, people immediately think racial. Uh, but then there's also just stereotypes. You know, mm -hmm. you know, blondes are this, women are that, right. uh, overweight people can only do such and such or never do such and such. So there's there's different types of stereotypes, and dealing with stereotypes mean you know the best way to deal with that is is to be more open in your thoughts. Yeah, approaching the world 
with, oh, wait a minute. Okay, let me open the windows. Okay, let me let me really take a look at the world I'm about to delve into or I'm about to reflect or represent. So for me, um, a lot of the challenges of dealing with that is, again, starting out with your attitude. How how do you approach the story? If you're doing a story about, and let's just, because I live in New York, but let, let's just use that for a moment. If you're doing a story about a typical New York scene, a particular New York location, maybe like Times Square or certain parts of the city. In reality, when you walk through those areas, you will see different types of people. If you're in Times Square, not only will you see different types of people, you can see some wacky people, some people in bizarre costumes and so forth. So that if you were to reflect that scene in a book or a film and remove everything but, you know, slender, brunettes, um, you know, who are well-dressed, then you are not being authentic to that arena. Ladies and gentlemen, those of you just listening at a, uh, a podcast and I've seen Alex Simmons, he is, in fact, a slender brunette. <laughs> you are, you are you're really in trouble. Okay. <laughs> so, so one of the things is to look at the arena that you are about to bring into your story, that you are about to explore through your story, and, and get real. You know, really look at it. If it is an arena where there's only one type of um, individual in terms of ethnicity or cultural experience, fine. That's fine. Represent it that way. But if it isn't, then look at that with clear eyes, open mind and say, OK, if I'm going to reflect this part of the world, what what needs to be in there? How do I handle this? Another uh, thing but... is, you know, habits. Now, when you're creating a character. A lot of times people will, and I'll use this example because it's so prevalent in some of the um, some of the st younger students that I've dealt with. Um, you're influenced, or we are all influenced by the kind of things that we read or watch. And some of these young people that I've dealt with were enamored with um, mob movies, okay, gangster movies. And so they want to make the you know screenwriting. They want to write their own screenplays about these types of characters. And they will tend to make this stereotypical mistake of associating with one particular ethnicity or cultural group, um, a particular type of lifestyle, and a few other elements that are very stereotypical because they're being influenced by the material they've seen, as opposed to approaching it from, if I'm going to write about this, what do I know about it? What do I need to know about it? So if you're going to be inspired by some film that you favor or books that you've read, then realistically check and say, what do I really know about this life or these people? And then what do I need to know in order to be more authentic with my material? Uh, so again, in creating characters, what are the, what's your character's habits? What is your character's particular background? Uh, how were they raised? Um, is it uh, financially a well-established family or do they come from an impoverished situation? What's their religious belief? Because religion definitely impacts on, on the upbringing of certain people at certain times in their lives. So you want to look at the history of, of that the story is taking place in. What time period? What era? Because again, that will affect how these characters are influenced and how they will behave. Uh, there's a TV series, I think it was The Amazing Ms. Maisel which mm -hmm. takes place in the 1950s. It's about a female comedian. She's a Caucasian female, but it's the, the, the problems that she runs into because the mindset about women at that time, especially women stand-up comedians, 
is so set. That's no, it's a man's world. And so you can't possibly make it in this world. And she has to fight her way through this, starting out in the small performance spaces on the Borscht Belt in the, you know, in, the, in the country and all this sort of thing in order to try and establish her career. So the era in which you are setting your story definitely impacts on the kind of character you're creating. Uh, also, another thing, a simple thing, I'm going to keep this rather short, is aside from the research that you do, once you have written your story, even in a rough draft form, run it by people who have lived that life or are yeah. living that life or more mm -hmm. familiar with that lifestyle. Now, again, we're talking earlier about mobsters. And I'm not telling you to go and start you know, hanging out with mobsters or gangs or that sort of thing. But you can do, again, a certain amount of research. Maybe you can get to know uh, someone who's in the business as, as a police officer or the courts or a reporter or somebody who has some exposure to that world far more than you do, who can read your material and say, okay, yeah, this rings true. No, no, no to this. This is stereotypical. This is, you know, not even connected to how it really goes. But really what's important is, and I understand it, we can be influenced by a lot of things. We are influenced by the kind of music we listen to, the kind of friends and people we spend time with, the kind of books we read, the kind of films that we watch. I totally get it. But if you're going to create your own story and create your own characters, then as we often say here in the show, be true to the story, be true to the character, admit what you know about it for real, do whatever research is necessary to make that character and that scenario more authentic sounding, and then check it against people who are more familiar with that material so that they can help point out where you might be a little weak or need to do a bit more work so that when you finally present that story to whomever, it's going to come across as your best effort and is going to ring true in a much stronger uh, fashion. Very well done. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, you were talking about the marvelous Miss Maisel. And uh, the other aspect of that show is that uh, they show both her uh, stage and professional career, but they also show her her home life, mm -hmm. which is very Jewish. Mm -hmm. And the more specific you get into a culture, magically, the more universal it becomes. You know, uh, that may not be uh, your culture. You may not be Jewish like that family is but you're Irish like this family is, you know, and it, and the specific dynamics ring true. So delve deep, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, get the nuances right, you know. Um, I'm Moving going forward. In, yes, your challenge. I'm going sir. in a very different direction than you did. It was great, great uh, uh, writing advice. And um, that was the act of writing and the thought of writing. I'm going to go with physical the physical of writing and it's about getting to work and staying at work, you know, um, and a, a, I'm in a phase in my life now where this can be my full-time job. And it's taken me a bunch of time to make it my full-time job because there were so many other things I can do. It was very easy to, wander away from work so getting back to the work you know so i have a few things from from that recent year or so uh that i want to share 
first of all, um, set a time. You know, if you're going to be a writer, set a t- uh, time for when you're going to write. You know, uh, all right, by 10 o'clock, I'm at work. You know, and it's a good uh, thing to think of your writing as a job, as a profession, you know. And uh, then whatever you're doing, you're marking it around that schedule. All right, I'm going to be there. Um, and of course, every time we say something like that, there's half the audience that says, well, I, you know, I don't have that. I have a day job. And I know what am I going to do? I have a few of things for you. Of course um, you do. Because I worked for a long time at a day job. Before what I report for yours? <laughs> 432. Not about half as much as you. Um, get up a little earlier. You know, uh, I used to get up. I guess the average was four o'clock and I would do about a half an hour, hour of writing uh, before I had to jump in the shower and start the day, you know, um, or, you know, I've got kids. I got to get them out to work and all that sort of stuff. And then I got to get on the train to get to my own job. Good. Once you're on the train, you got a 20 minute ride. Make 10 of it. That's going to be my writing. Get yourself settled. I'm going to write whether it's on your phone or in notebook or in there, whatever. I'm going to write 10 minutes a day. You'll notice how once that happens on a regular basis, you'll find other little moments to write and then you'll be doing it. Fantastic. So if you have the time to schedule a day's work or whatever, do it that way. Otherwise, figure out one time a day where I'm always going to write at that time while I'm traveling or while I'm eating lunch at the desk or whatever and be religious about that and you'll see how it grows from there okay um small goals yeah uh, last couple of uh uh well in 2023 i have been going back and back again to getting achievable goals and not overwhelming yourself same thing here you know um i would read the last two pages and then i'm going to write a, two more pages that's it you're only working on four and two of them are already written it's an achievable goal And then you'll notice you went five pages or six pages because your flow starts getting stronger, right? That's what you want to do. Small goals that'll lead to bigger success. Um, The problem is breaks. Because if you get away from the writing, sometimes you can't get back. One of the things I do is uh, when I get a break oh, i gotta move i gotta get up i gotta get up i put on headphones right and uh put on some music and i said this break is gonna be three songs so where i'm going whatever i gotta do i've got three songs to do it and i tell myself no playing yes or any of those songs or any of those bands that have 20 minute songs you know put on a fish half an hour jam that's cheating Okay, we're talking about pop songs, three pop songs or something like that. And then you have to get yourself back uh, by b- b- before that fourth song starts or by the end of that fourth song, you got to be back at work. It's a good little trick. You're making a deal with yourself. Um, if you take a break for lunch, right? You have yourself a quick sandwich, bring dessert with you back to work, right? You got to, I'm going to get myself a cookie or whatever. Don't eat it. Bring it, put it on a little piece of paper, I mean, a little napkin or a little plate, put it next to you. You got that dessert. And once you're back in the flow, as you're writing, you can eat the cookie, but not before you're working. 
It's another trick to get you in, right? Um, lastly, reward, reward a good day's work. If you have a goal to write for two hours or to write for, some people do number of words, you know, I'm going to write a thousand words. Well, when you do it, reward yourself, you know, um, I'm going to write five, but whatever your goal is, realistic, realistic goal, you know, don't sit there and say, I'm going to write war and peace, <sighs> that realistic goal, but reward yourself. Nothing crazy, right? It could you could just put on your favorite song and do a little dance. No one's home, you know. Maybe dance all around the house. Doesn't make a difference. Um, or uh, tell yourself, you know, good job, all that sort of stuff. Maybe you say, I really want to watch this TV show, but I'm going to give myself full enjoyment of that show if I hit my goal. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the whole thing. Use what your your life is. As you're the carrot, the end of your stick, you know, uh, we like watching this thing. All right. I'm going to get this done so that I can really enjoy that. Right. Not pressure. You don't want to make it negative. You don't want to make it an accent, your neck. It's just a cute little carrot, the end of the stick, unless you hate carrots, then it's a chocolate bar. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, a couple <laughs> of things to get yourself to work and keep yourself at work. Not as deep as Alex Simmons, but then again, ladies and gentlemen, not many are. You know, well, shucks, fella, that, that's awful decent of you. Thank you so much. No, actually, that's that's all very, very good. There's um, there's a methodology called the Pomodoro method, which is uh, you set a timer, you work for 20 minutes, you take a break. You work right. for 20 minutes, you take a break. And 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 even what you talked about in terms of self self help or self care, mm-hmm. self care. Right. You know, you work for 20, you're sitting, maybe you're typing. You get up, you move around. Yeah, you have for to a few minutes, yeah, right? You sure. know, so. Yeah, there's different ways of doing what you've suggested. And um, I will say this, the longer I've been doing this, the more important some of those things become. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because there was a point in my life, and I won't wander too far, the point in my life where there was always a flood of ideas. There just weren't enough hours in the days for me to get all my ideas down. And I find that over the years, well, A, you've written a lot of stuff, that's mm-hmm. that's one. But then, you know, you, you're you taking on other responsibilities. You mentioned family, raising family and all that. So you get fatigued. Oh, yeah. And sometimes, you know, there's a limit to your exposure to the world. So you're sort of in a bit of a box, an right. you know, experience box. And so sometimes you need to get out and take a deep yeah. breath and and look beyond the, the box you've been walking around in or moving around in in order to refresh yourself. And so, again, mm-hmm. self-care and and timing yourself and prioritizing yourself and and giving yourself specific times to write those are all very useful techniques for prolonging the creative experience in your life yes and you mentioned you know uh, you have so many ideas and all that sort of stuff i would uh paraphrase stephen king for that you know uh he's put him in the back there let him fight it out (laughs) you know it's it's like thunderdome back there you know One of them is going to rise up as the next idea you write about, you know? Yeah, you know, and that's true. That's true. The best one will will nag at you the most. So if you have a flurry of ideas, that's great. Put them all in the back of the head, and you'll see which one really wants to be written. Yeah, so, So, all right. So let's let's check it out. Check it out, boy. Check it out. You know what? Before we check it out, you talked about your challenge. I talked about my challenge. We owe those who are watching and listening 
a challenge for themselves. Um, I'm going to make this relatively quick because it's a concise thing. The wonderful James Clear. Wait, wait, wait. Not yet. Not oh, yet. no. Uh, we got to give them a challenge. Oh, oh, you're you see now. You're right. You're absolutely right. right. I, I okay. did that once. Now you did that once. That's oh, okay. 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 All right. So um, this is uh, alongside some of the other stuff we're talking about, but it's a different exercise. Uh, what we want you to do this week when you're doing your writing, finish your writing for the day in the middle of a scene, in the middle of a sentence. Okay, make the sentence far enough along so you know how that sentence will end and then stop. Don't end it. Stop it. And then the next day you come in, you open it up, you read the last page and a half to get your, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then finish that sentence, that paragraph, that scene, you're in the flow. End of that second day, middle of a scene, middle of a sentence, you're going to stop. Each day you're going to do that, right? Don't tell us about it. You're doing it yourself. But at the end of the week, you're going to ask yourself, did this help? And that's the part we want you to tell us about in the comments below. Come back to this. Write it down. One of you. We're going to show our appreciation all of you one at a time. Yeah. <laughs> one of you will get an autographed copy of one of our Black Jack uh, Rapid Read Adventures. Uh, I pulled a box load that I had and went to see Alex, you know. And we uh, we autograph. There they go. There they there are. There you go. Yep. Now this one here, the one on the top right, you can get that online for free. But the other three are in contention. One of one of those is going to come to you if you're the one we choose from the comments. So again, write. Do your writing for the day. End in the middle of the scene. In the middle of a sentence. So far enough so you know where the sentence is going to be. It helps you get back in the flow the next day. Do that each day for the week and then tell us how it worked out for you, right? Definitely the honest system. We're trusting that you do it. But one of those comments about your experience with it will win one of these autographed you by him and me or me and him. You know what? Let's let's just be really nice, guys, because you said this already, that one of those can be obtained for free if they have the map. To the secret link to the secret code. So how about for everybody who does this, who does answer at the end of the week, gives us a, a little write-in, let us know how it went. I'll I'll send you the link to that free one. Cool. There you go. There you go. Everyone okay. who that's right. Everyone will get that link. That's a cool thing. There you Beautiful. go. There you go. Excellent. Okay. And now that, that we've checked that out, let's tell them about some other stuff we need. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. What do you need? What did you check out this week? And what do you want to share with us? Well, I, 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 I sort of blew the entrance, but here we go again. James Clear. James Clear, who is um, a well-known authority on habits, on, 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 on the, the use of the pros and cons of habits. Uh, he wrote a wonderful book called Atomic Habits, which I've read twice, and I it's like a million seller and all that. And he had this wonderful quote that I came across the other day, which says, you have to show up before inspiration will. Yeah. And that's that was that rang so clearly to me when I heard it, or read it, actually. Is yeah, you've got it. You got to come prepared. You got to stand up and say, "Yeah, I'm open to doing the work 
doing the job, taking on the challenge, and then things start to happen. It's like what I said earlier about stepping out and exposing yourself to them and taking, you know, some fresh air, moving outside your routine, mm-hmm. and suddenly little inspirational things will start to happen. Or if you're going to write about a particular arena and you, it's not a place that you normally hang out, really go there, take a look, you know, really try and authentically represent that arena because, again, you'll be inspired. I think that's very much it. You know, you got to show up before inspiration will. That's cool. That's excellent. And it ties in with what I was talking about before getting to work and staying at work. That's nicely done. Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you very Um, much, James. Yes, James. Thank you, James. Atomic Habits, ladies and gentlemen. James Clear. Always a useful read. Um, For me, again, I've been trying to keep it very ground level, very, you know, so um, I wanted to talk about uh, being inspired by your tribe. Mm. Uh, what I mean by that uh, is this week is dealing with social media, right? Um, social media can be a, a hellscape and it doesn't have to be. You choose who can see your stuff and whose stuff you, you know, you see. So one of the things that I've been doing for about uh, three, four years now is that I have been curating especially on Twitter, but definitely on Instagram and Facebook and, you know, on and on. Um, Who I want to participate with on social media. And I have been uh, aggressively curating writers and readers. And uh, if you're overtly political, you're out and et cetera. So what has happened is that uh, the social media experience has been much more positive and rewarding And much more something that I run to rather than drag myself to, Mm. you know, especially Twitter uh, curating has been most successful with that. I'm still working on uh, getting uh, a better curation of Facebook. So that works. Um, One of the things that will happen every once in a while is uh, someone will recommend or talk about a publisher that I didn't know existed and I'll follow that. And, Whenever you follow something new, they'll say, well, these other 15 people are, you know, really have something in common with that. And they want to get you to follow more. And if, I, if I'm intrigued by the publisher, I may give those 15 a try. And here's a good rule of thumb. Give them a try and give them, I think I give people three strikes. If you, first three things I see from you are all rewrite, uh, retweets. That means you have nothing to say. You're out. If they're uh, all, whether I agree or disagree with the politics, if they're all politics, that's not what I'm here for. So those people would go on. I've also noticed that, um, well, if you're always selling, always be selling, you know, if you're Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you're out of here. <laughs> One time in 10, that feels good for me. Five times in five or 10 times in 10, you out. And recently, I've noticed some people are either inappropriately, graphically sexual or um, lewd in, in what they say and how they say it. Those people are gone, too. Not because I'm an old, yeah, but it, it's not what I'm here for, mm. you know? So uh, I always think of, um, for, for me, Twitter is a workspace. So if people conduct themselves in that way, then that's who I stay with. 
there's an exception that I thought was worth mentioning. There's uh, one young lady um, who writes, she's a poet, but every once in a while she writes a poem just to put in Twitter. And um, they're really good. And sometimes they're romantic or, or whatever, but they're never graphic. They're, you know, they're, they're beautiful. And uh, I asked her one time and she says, well, I have a lot of poems and I don't have a lot of places to put them. So putting them here lets people know that I have a lot of poems. And I, thought that, <laughs> I thought that logic was brilliant. Um, one of the things that, that uh, I have found myself doing is writing her poems in response. That's how, in, that's how inspirational she has been. Uh, I don't write romantic or, you know, just whenever she's got some kind of slice of life poem, I'll write a slice of life poem back and mm -hmm. that kind of thing as a way of, you know, saying, I appreciate and I see you and uh, I'm trying to honor you. And she kind of gets a kick out of it. So it's pretty cool. Don't know her from Adam, you know, uh, and that's how Twitter is, right? <laughs> But just some ideas that uh, you might take with you as to how you engage with social media and get the most out of it. So I, I think go. what you're being is very authentic. I use that word a lot um, past few shows, but I, I really do feel that's what you're being. You're being who you really are. And and again, it's not about attacking anybody. It's not being, you know, um, difficult. It's simply saying this is why I come to this particular space. This is what I'm trying to get out of my associations here. Yeah. And so this is what I'll focus on. And yeah. I think that's perfectly uh, uh, intelligent and um, efficient. And so I think that that's definitely a way to go. Yeah. I had a relative uh, over the holidays uh, say to me, you know what I really like about you? You're always real. <laughs> and uh, at first I didn't know what to do with that, but I've, since I'm going to take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, I think you should. I think you should. I think that so, a yeah. lot of times, and this this goes also to characters. Right. We take people at who they really are, or we don't. Right. You know, quite often people keep saying, "Oh, well, this is not who I think this person should be, so I'm going to change them." Right. right. That's not your job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's really not your job. <laughs> like my daddy said, if you don't like the show, don't buy a ticket. <laughs> yep, yep. Or change the channel. Right? That's right. Yeah. There you go. And okay. speaking of channels, ladies yes, and gentlemen, it is nice segue time. <laughs> it is the time we've all been waiting for, patiently waiting for Ryan to shut up so that the Stop. greatest feature <laughs> in podcast history can begin. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for. Alex Simmons time machine. Pound, 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 strapped in, Alex. Where are you yeah. taking us today? Mr. Sulu. Mr. Oh, that's the wrong show. Okay. So, hey there, Chris. Um, so, uh, not to disappoint, you know, because I, I, I love doing these and, and I'm glad you enjoy them. Um, this week, I'm going to talk about a TV sitcom that was unique at its time for several reasons. Um, this goes back to the uh, 70s. Barney Miller. Oh, what a great show. Barney Miller. Um, and, and I'm going to try and really be succinct here. The first thing that was really sort of impressive to me, and when I was watching the show, I wasn't aware of certain subtle changes 
until like a year or two into the show. Mm-hmm. And as of course, as I've gotten older and I've gone back and I became a professional writer and all that, this I've discovered so many other things about it. But the first thing was the show originally started out like many uh, sitcoms where you have Barney is a police captain. And, yes. uh, uh, you know, it's not like Kojak. Well, it's more like Kojak, as a matter of fact, because it's not it's not like uh, CSI. It's not with the fancy space and everything. They've got a rinky dink room at a police precinct. They've got desks crowded in there and there's four or five members of the squad. And it's the different cases that they have to deal with. And then Barney would go home and had his family, his wife and his two children. Uh, that was the first season. And initially we would have a little bit at the station and then a little bit at the apartment at his apartment and maybe uh, a scene somewhere else. But again, it was mostly uh, staged uh, material. So it wasn't like they weren't shooting outdoors on location. And then within like by the end of the first season, beginning of the second, the show became more like theater Mm. because we stayed, the audience stayed at the precinct. Right. And the police officers, the, you know, the characters would go out or other characters would come in. But we were always with that one, one set. set. And it Once was, in a while you'd go into Bonnie's office, but that's it. Yeah, right. And, but it was always at the precinct. And it, mm-hmm. we never went downstairs to see, you know, it was always the detective's uh, space uh, office upstairs. And that was great. And it was funny and, and quirky. And you had some characters, a couple of them that seemed a little bit stereotypical in that we had a a, a Polish police detective named Wojciechowicz, who yeah. was not really that swift, but he had a big heart and he was trying. And, and you had a, a Japanese police detective played by Jack Sue. Uh, you had a black police de- detective, uh, Harris, who was a really sharp dresser and had a neat afro and all. It was all of these these elements that could have just been, I'm playing this, I'm playing that. But they began to work in the levels and uh, of yeah. the characters, the, the different yeah. challenges and things like that. And in particular, they started to deal with social issues, too, right. within that time period. And the one that I'll pick out today, which I did not know until uh, recently, I knew that this I'd seen the character. But there's a character who's a gay gay man who the first time we were introduced to them in the second season he he tends to he's got a, a thing about stealing purses and luggage and stuff like that. And but he's very flamboyant and he's he's no very more feminine and everything. But he had all these great lines, he's had these great put downs with people and things like that. And this was not okay for television at that time period. Right. This was uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> you know, you didn't have gay characters on there was a number of other elements you didn't have. And the producer, director, uh, creator of the show insisted on this character and he handled it you know i felt the character was was just well developed they even had run the script by um and i don't remember the name of the organization but there was a gay rights organization at that time like the naacp for black there was a gay rights organization and they ran it by uh some of the people on that board there to say you know is this cool are we are we being inappropriate anyway and the gentleman who read the script said no i think you i think you got yeah tend to see male uh, gay men as a feminine but i think the way you're dealing with this character it'll be cool well it wasn't all that cool uh <laughs> the, the gay population was not all that some of it i shouldn't say the entire part, but there was there was some pushback and then of course abc was like whoa wait a minute you know they let it air but eh, 
And then slowly but surely, things began to become more restrictive in terms right. of the family hour. And yet this this director took some chances. And I'm, I'm going to abbreviate the story. There's a link to a documentary on it, a little short documentary I'll, I'll put in our, our comment section. But he took some chances. But he also listened to the feedback. And this made me think of what happened with you when you were writing Genius High. Yeah. And you had a transvestite character. Um, no, transgender. Transgender. Transgender yes. character. And you knew what you didn't know. So you did a certain amount of homework there. Mm -hmm. And then you shared that work with others. I wrote a short story using that character. Mm -hmm. And it was for a um, uh, LBGTQ um, horror anthology. And what I did was I wrote, you know, they, they said, we want the scariest thing for your characters and we want the LGBTQ characters and the scariest thing they experienced. And silly me, I said, well, it's, you know, the being attacked for who, you, who they are is mm -hmm. going to be the scariest. And that's the one story they didn't want because they all experienced that and they, they want them more like placing them in a, say, a Scooby-Doo um, world so they can be you know who they are but Belma yeah. or shaggy yeah. or whoever yeah. but they're also lgbtq and it was a great lesson because i had tons of stories like that and i had gone out of my way misinterpreting over i over tried and right. um but again you did fantastic the learning and, experience and that's what's important you did the research and you ran it by people who were living that life to say how am i doing yeah. you know and that was that was so that's what he did in this particular situation. And between that and the pushback he was getting from ABC, but which he fought over a period of several seasons, they not only shifted certain elements of the character, they didn't change the character, but they eventually gave him a relationship mm -hmm. with another gay man who had a different personality, it was a, a, a you know, because he was someone different. Right. And and then they began to uh reveal that. Like there was a stereotype that, you know, okay, only gays would look this way. And then it turns out that a couple of the police officers who everybody had assumed were straight eventually right. came out as. And right. so, no, we're in your life. We're a part of life. We're here. That's right. what it was. So over the, the six or seven years that the show was on the air, this was a big difference. This was a big gamble. This was a, a matter of, again, marking a, a change in the psyche of American television and what was accepted as American television. And it only worked because of the integrity of the people producing it, mm -hmm. the commitment and artistry of the cast, the quality of the writing and the efforts to be authentic with all of the characters yeah. that were presented in that world. And so again, I, you know, I look at that and I look at where we are now, like, what was it? This is us, and some yeah. of the other shows. Um, was it the L L word? You know, things that could not have happened back then, right? But something had to happen back then in order to make these moments possible, right? I mean, even stuff like Euphoria, which is an over, way over the top depiction of high school life, but uh, they can handle. Um, what used to be called alternative lifestyles and now are just, no, this is a different shade of lifestyles, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I will relate one thing about Barney and Miller. Um, I knew a lot of cops because I grew up in the Bronx 
as you do, right? Mm-hmm. And came from a family of cops. And to a person, every cop who ever talked to me or in front of me about TV agreed the same thing, was that Barney Miller was the most realistic cop show uh, ever made, you mm-hmm. know? And uh, one of it was because of the, the people behind the scenes, but also because the characters were uh, nuanced in those ways mm-hmm. and true to themselves. So yeah. uh, check it out. It's available somewhere. Yeah. You know? and, uh, <laughs> well, hey, the episodes are all on YouTube. You can find them oh, on YouTube. You Absolutely. You and the, the documentary, I'll put the link in the, uh, in the comments. The documentary, it's a short little documentary done by a, a gentleman named Matt Baum. I believe it's pronounced B-A-U-M-E. Um, very excited about it. Was very very happy and thrilled to be able to share that kind of information. And I checked oh. some of it out, and it's very true. And so again, it's a wonderful little short piece on the show. But you should watch the episodes because they are well worth your time. Excellent. All right, that was Alex Simmons' time machine for this week, and that brings us to our reminder that, ladies and gentlemen, you have a very cordial challenge. And that is in your writing this week, if you are, in fact, a writer. Um, I guess you could apply it to uh, film work or, you know, music or whatever. And in the middle of a scene or in the middle of a stanza or in the middle of a, uh, um, uh, yeah, a a sequence in your film. Not a leap in the air if you're a dancer or a choreographer. Mm, That would be difficult. Come down, yeah. Um, and then come back, reread the last page or two and jump into the flow and see if that idea of ending in the middle of a scene, in the middle of a sentence, and then picking up from there, if that helps you get your flow quicker and makes you more productive. Um, we don't need to see bits of your writing. You know, we, we, we want to hear your reaction to this mm-hmm. exercise. Did it help? How did it help? And that's a, that's what we're looking for. And put it in the comment section uh, below. And one of you will win an autographed copy of one of the Blackjack Rapid Reads series uh, autographed by Alex and myself. And, and our way of, of saying you. thank you for being involved. Right. And all of you who participate uh, will receive yeah. a free copy of our free Blackjack story. Yeah. That's why it's free, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. It's for you. Yes. Just All for right. You. Yes. Uh, we hope you found something interesting here this episode. I hope you come back. We really uh, enjoy doing this for you. And uh, thanks again for your participation. Alex, great yes. to see you, sir. Absolutely. Good to see me and good to see you. I'm glad <laughs> we're both seeing each other. <laughs> there you go. And give my best to the family there, buddy. I'm right back at you. You got it. And you got to it. all of you out there. Thank you very much. Peace.